0: take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 16 today. Acts chapter number 16. So thankful for the uh, musicians that God has blessed us with. Very thankful for that. Thankful for where we've come as a church uh, with that as well. Acts chapter 16. So today, Lord willing, we're going to walk through the rest of this passage. I've, I've taken my time over the past probably two, three, four weeks and only kind of looked at probably a handful of verses each week. Uh, but today, Lord willing, we're going to cover verse 11 all the way through verse number 40. And there's a lot in here and I could easily probably cover all of this and probably anywhere from two, three, four, five messages, but I'm going to give more of an overview today Feel like that's where God is leading and then excited about either next week or the week after. Finally gonna get to a passage that the Lord laid on my heart almost two years ago, at this time, I think it was two years ago in July of 2019 to come up with the theme for 2020, which was impact or making an impact, turning the world upside down. And it was taken from that passage in Acts chapter seventeen, verse number six, these that have turned the world upside down, talking about some of those disciples. And followers of Jesus within the early church, and uh, we're finally going to get to that passage and preach it, Lord willing, either next week or the week after. And that's kind of been our theme verse for our Christian school as well, because it was just over two years ago that also got put on my heart to somehow I didn't know exactly how at the time, although looking back, it, it fully makes sense. I wasn't necessarily thinking Christian school, uh, but really, in the past several days, I've been thinking back on some of those thoughts that I had, and it's exactly what God was directing me without even me realizing it, um, and put that on my heart to be a a training center for the next generation, and I'm excited about where our school is just, I mean, after one year, we have, I think, 19, possibly 20 new students this year. Uh, We're up to 31, 32, and really feel like it's just gonna take off from here as it already has, and had a great time on Friday night during our orientation uh, church was full of with families and kids just excited about what God's going to do, so please keep in prayer for us uh, that are going to be uh, handling the school and looking forward to some great things. Uh, we're going to read the passage in just a minute, um, but I want to go back. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning as I was kind of getting ready. A lot of times on Sunday mornings, I, I kind of take my time at the house. Sometimes I come over early. Sometimes I wait until almost nine o'clock to come over. It's not that I just woke up. I just like to take my time at the house when everyone has gone and kind of go through some thoughts in in my head, in my mind, about the service and about where God would lead us, and was thinking about kind of everything that we've covered so far in the book of Acts up to this point. You know, we've covered all kinds of things, and I'm not going to give 30 minutes of preview, or review, I guess I should say, of what we have discussed, but one thing really stood out to me back in Acts chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 10, it was the the conversion of Cornelius. How many remember that passage, that study we did? And we had looked specifically about Peter, how God had to really get a hold of Peter's life. Remember how he had some his, uh, some preconceived notions, I guess, some, some ideas in his mind that God had to kind of help get beyond. And really, in thinking of where we are today in this passage, in the Scripture, and there's so many themes that we're going to look at, but really the, the overriding theme that Luke gives us in these last 20 or 30 verses is the fact that the gospel, yet again, is for everyone. The gospel reaches all people. And I, and I was thinking about that in relation to Acts chapter 10 because Peter, himself a Jew, it was hard for him to realize that the gospel is not just for Jews, it was also for Gentiles. Cornelius himself was a Gentile, and he had to, or God had to break down some of those uh, walls, so to speak, that were in Peter's life, his heart, his mind, to help him realize. And really, what we had talked about that day, just by way of review, it's really what we've talked about the past several weeks, that sometimes we have wrong thinking in our hearts, in our minds. And, and one of the things that I mentioned in that message was that sometimes our first wrong thought is this, that man-made traditions are more important than salvation. But I think we've learned over the past few weeks that that is not the case. That is not true. Traditions are not inherently bad. They are not evil. Uh, sometimes we, we place too much emphasis on traditions for tradition's sake. But what we learned back in Acts chapter 10 and what we learned even uh, a few weeks ago is that traditions don't save anyone, right? And I think oh, hopefully everyone in this church uh, that has been here for any length of time understands that. I'm not against traditions, but traditions do not save anyone and Paul or or Peter himself had to get that broken away that in his mind, he had these preconceived notions, these traditions that were very important for someone coming to Christ, being himself a Jew, but God had to break that down. Um, you know, and really what, what most churches need, we we need a, a push towards gospel centeredness, but what we need is a change in the way of our thinking, and there are so many people as I've counseled with over the years and, and as I preach and teach and obviously as we do things like EQ and you know, just seeing people's posts on social media from time to time, people have a hard time changing their thinking, right? They have a hard time changing those, those thoughts about themselves. And this isn't necessarily going back on everything, but they have a hard time changing who they think they used to be and they get stuck in that. But the thing is, the gospel changes all that if we allow it to. The gospel changed that for Peter. It changed it for Paul. But another thing that we had talked about back in Acts chapter 10 was another wrong thought was that sometimes we think that the church should only consist of my kind of people or my type of people. You know what I'm talking about? And the thing I love about the book of Acts and the study is that the church, especially like think about Antioch, the church at Antioch was very... um, inclusive, in the sense that they included everyone, anyone and everyone. Now, I know it's, it's a cultural thing, because sometimes in certain cultures or certain areas, you only have a certain demographic of people. I, I get that. I, I completely understand that. But the thing I love about Christianity is that it does not exclude anyone. And, and I think I've said this before, that the thing about Christianity, it's almost contradictory when, it, when, you, when you hear it, but it's the most inclusively exclusive thing that there is it's exclusive in the sense that there's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on the cross. And understanding that he died for our sins, that he rose again from the grave. He gave his life for us, as Amanda was was talking about. And and as we're singing, it's not singing to someone else. It's not singing to impress anyone else. It's singing to our, our great father who sent his son, who sacrificed his son, and did everything for us. But At the same time, it is also inclusive, meaning that anyone and everyone can come to salvation. And if you are saved today, you are a product of that, that the gospel hasn't excluded you, and I'm thankful for that. But sometimes still in our thought process, we get this this thinking that I only want certain types in my church. Well, that's completely wrong. That's sinful, really. That's an attitude of really bigotry that goes against the gospel, that goes against God's word. And it was just another reminder, as, as we're going to look at in just a minute or two, three different types of people that we see in Acts chapter 16. And it's an awesome thing because this was the start of the church at Philippi. We, we did a study about two, three years ago on Wednesday night of Philippians, and Acts chapter 16 verses 11 through 40 is the start of the church at Philippi. So we realize that it's not just certain types of people that the gospel is for anyone and for everyone. And as we get to it today, what we see are are some amazing things in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse number 11. So uh, go ahead and make sure you're there with me this morning. I want to read a few verses, and then we're going to jump into it. Let me go back to where my notes are for this morning. I had to pull up something else. Um, All right, there it is. So remember that early part of Acts chapter 16, Paul had asked Timothy to do something that he was uncomfortable with that was really awkward and somewhat painful. And it wasn't that he was going back. It wasn't that he was making him become a Jew to appease everyone, but he was asking him to sacrifice a right for the sake of all for the gospel so that the gospel would go forward. Because Timothy, part Jew, his mom was a Jew. His uh, father was a Greek, uh, never been circumcised. That was a huge deal for the, the Jewish community in that day. So Paul had asked young Timothy to do that, and Timothy willingly submitted himself to the authority of Paul and, and did what he was asked to do, even though it was painful, uncomfortable for him because he realized that by him not doing that, he was going to create himself to be a stumbling block, a roadblock in a sense for people not coming to Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked about doors, the open doors, the closed doors, how sometimes we try to shut doors that should not be shut. We try to open doors that should not be opened. And what we learned is that Paul had an idea, his team of Silas and, and young Timothy, and then Luke joined them later, how they wanted or Paul wanted to go into Asia. That was his desire. It, to, to him it was a, a natural progression to go into Asia to reach people with the gospel, but the Holy Spirit forbade them to go, and the Holy Spirit forbade them to, to even speak while they were there in Asia and Bithynia. And, and really, the, the great truth that we, we talked about last week was, and I love this statement, it was, is this, that with God, every no is a greater opportunity for a greater yes. I know I mis-said that, but with God, every no is an opportunity for a greater yes. Just because one door in your life might be closed or closing doesn't mean all doors are closed or closing. God has something great for you, but we have to be willing to submit to his authority, to his leadership, to his guidance in, in our lives. And I've seen that time and time in my life. This doesn't tell, tell my story today, but I've seen several times where God has seemingly slammed a door shut. I tried to keep opening it, but he shut it only to find that there was another door he was about to open. And it's very easy to get frustrated when God shuts doors or, or when we're trying to do something, but we have to understand that God has a greater yes for us. He has a greater purpose. And we cannot allow the, the, the deceitfulness of, of our enemy to infiltrate our minds and, and think that God is trying to, to, to be against us. He is not. If God for us, who can be against us, right? God has a purpose for our life, and I love that statement that with God, every no, it's usually an opportunity for a greater yes. So understand that. Now, your short-sighted answer might diminish his big picture because there's things in our life that we want to do that we want to get accomplished, but a no can often lead to a greater yes. And here in Acts chapter 16, a significant moment in the life of the church. Verse number 11, Therefore, loosing from Troas, because remember, they couldn't go into Asia, so now they set forth to go into Europe. Instead of going into Asia, they set forth to go into Europe, and we'll show a map in just a minute. But it says, Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to uh, Samothracea, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. And a colony, it's a Roman colony. The Romans were in charge of the land at that day and age. And we were in that city abiding, abiding certain days or they were there for some period of time is what that is basically saying. Whether it was weeks, whether it was months, they were there for a certain period of time that Luke is telling us. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I'm so thankful for uh, the great worship that we've already had and experienced this morning. And God, I pray that you'd help me this message to clearly and effectively deliver the message that you would have me to preach. Uh, something I've really struggled putting all together this week, mostly because of some busyness of schedule, but I, I believe you've settled in my heart what needs to be preached and I'm just praying that <clears throat> you would allow me to preach and teach and say what needs to be said and leave out everything else. And Lord, I pray that you'd help this message to yet again be an encouragement and a challenge. There are times where the messages are more encouraging in nature. There are times when the messages are more challenging in nature. And Lord, I don't know what everyone is dealing with, what they're struggling with today, but I pray that you would help them to realize that one, first and foremost, the gospel is for everyone. And the gospel can transform anything, any problem that we have. But God, I pray, I pray so heartily that you would help us understand that we need you to quit doing things our own way. It's something, I don't know how many conversations I've had in the past many weeks with people, and they're all basically saying the same thing, I need to surrender control. It's something I've known for a long time in my life and I struggle with. It's something I'm trying to encourage our church with, but I pray that you'd help us to get to that point, and it's not something that's going to happen once. It's going to be something that happens really probably on a daily occasion in occurrence that, God, I'm surrendering my control of my life, of my plans to you. Nothing wrong with making plans, but God, help us to not leave you out of the plans. And I pray that you'd help our church, the ones that are struggling even this morning, to just give up control, to stop fighting a fight that they don't need to fight to stop battling with things that they don't need to battle with because you're right there. You haven't left them. You've never left them. You've never forsaken them and you're trying to encourage them. You want to encourage them. You want to help them but they have to be willing to submit. They have to be willing to do what you've called them to do. And Lord, as we look at this passage and these three different people or personas that we're going to look at this morning, help us to realize that yet again, the gospel isn't for a certain type it's for all. And God, I'm thankful that I was saved as as a young boy, and the gospel gripped me in my life and got a hold of me. And I'm thankful for the ones in here that the gospel has gripped and got a hold of them in their lives. And for the two that we have getting baptized today, they got saved at camp just a month or so ago. And Lord, I pray that you would do even more of that in our church. Heavenly Father, we love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let me ask a question as we kind of really jump into this this morning, because again, Acts chapter 16 is a very, it's a defining moment within the early church, and it's a defining moment in our lives as well. So the question, I guess, would be this, what is some of the most significant events that has ever happened in your life? What are some of the most significant events that have ever happened in your life? Anybody want to go ahead and start with answering that? What's a significant event that has ever happened in your life? Jocelyn? When you went to your dance, what did you say? When you went to your dance shop, that was a defining moment of your life. That's good, awesome. What else, Look, Getting married. Getting married. That's a very defining moment. That's good. Mike, uh, having kids. Did. Yes, that's good. Mia, I do that. doing your first bottle flip. <laughs> I heard you. I just thought it was funny to say that. <laughs> like I finally got it. Boom. Yes. Whenever you started going to the school, the defining moment in her life. Someone else that I saw in the hand. Anybody have a defining moment, Randy? Getting saved. Getting saved, yes. I think that's a defining moment for all of us if we have been saved. Anybody else? What are some defining moments or significant moments in your life? Anybody have something to venture? Michael? When you were born, <laughs> we are all thankful for that day. <laughs> Michael, Roland, is it Roland? Roland? Oh, no. Roland, 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 Roland down the river. Eaton when he was born back in 1999. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ryan. Second marriage, your second marriage to your first wife. <laughs> yes. Awesome thing. If most of you don't, notice, don't know that story, you can talk to Ryan later, okay? <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. Anybody else? What are some significant moments? David? Your first, property. first property. Do you have one? Okay, just make sure. <laughs> Uh, What else? Anybody? Yes. Death of a loved one. one. Yes, that's a significant defining moment in your life for sure. Yes. What else? Anybody else? Moving to Decatur. Decatur. Oh, yes. Very significant moment. (laughs) Life-changing. Much more life-changing than eating a turkey sandwich from Justin the other day. (laughs) He came to my office and he just left. That's why I'm saying this. But uh, he's like, I got something that's going to change your life. I'm like, what is it? Jesus? Because I already have Jesus. He's like, no, I got this turkey I got from Lowe's Market change your life. Right, Justin? So. Defining moments. <laughs> defining moment of your life. I got some in my office. If anybody needs to change your life after service, we can help you change your life. Anybody else? Maybe one or two more. Significant moment. For Alan? When, when you went to the Marine Corps. Adam? Uh, starting, a new career. starting a new career and helping build the swing set. Very good. Awesome. <laughs> yes, we all have significant <laughs> defining moments in and through our lives. And again, this is a defining moment for Christianity as a whole, because this is the first time that Christianity is spreading into the Western world. Uh, Michael, go ahead and just throw up that map if you would. Um, again, this is a small picture, and you can go ahead and um, uh, circle or whatever if you want. So what what the team is doing, they started, go ahead, uh, down in Antioch. I think he's got a little feature where you can circle some things like Vanna White or something, so we can show. Do we have it? Maybe. There it is! You see the white? You might have to do a different color. Can you see it? Try like black. (laughs) Or just cross it out, there you go. We're gonna get there. There it is, there it is, whoa, uh, awesome. I can't really see it on that one, so I have to look at this one. So uh, Antioch, this is the area where Paul and his team originally started from on their first journey. So here they are in Syria, in in the Middle Eastern culture, And as they're going through, you don't have to necessarily do it, Michael, but they're following the red line all the way up through Asia. That's where Paul had wanted to go, which is really modern day Turkey. But now they're going off into Macedonia. So they had stopped in Troas. Go ahead and kind of circle where Troas is up there by Mycenae. Troas is where they picked up Luke on their journey. And then they ventured across uh, the, the Aegean Sea there, all the way up to Philippi. Go ahead and circle where Philippi is or follow up that area. So Philippi. And Philippi, uh, where that is even in today's culture and age, is it's really um, Eastern Europe. It's kind of where, or Southeastern Europe. So this is a life-changing, defining moment. And the reason I'm saying all this is because it's the start of the gospel spreading into Europe. And, and if you study history at all, and especially church history, you see some amazing things that happen with Christianity in Europe. Now, eventually, what would happen because the gospel spread to Europe, the gospel would even spread farther west to a place called, anybody know? Anybody know where you're from? America, America. there you go. America. Uh, yes, eventually the gospel would spread across the Atlantic Ocean. I know we don't have a picture of that. Across the Atlantic Ocean into America because of the pilgrims and the early settlers. Now, I'm saying all that because it's important to understand that, that Paul and his team, he wanted to go into Asia. He wanted to go into Bithynia. He wanted to do something else, not saying the gospel wouldn't have eventually got there. But this was a significant moment, a defining moment, because as the gospel started in the Philippi, eventually, over the next several hundred years, the gospel just exploded into Europe. And thankfully, because of the explosion of the gospel in Europe, it exploded even farther west into America. And we, you and I, if you're saved today, you are product of Paul listening to God, submitting to God's authority. And that's the thing that we have to realize, that Even though we can't see the bigger picture, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And the things that we are doing even today in and through our lives, God is going to orchestrate it for his good, for his glory, even into the future. And it doesn't seem like a very important event in this story, but it's the entrance of the gospel into the Western world. And just a a quick history lesson of this. From Troas to Neapolis, the Port of Philippi was about 150 miles away. Now, it's interesting to me at least, but this trip... They didn't have the, the massive ships that, that we have today. So we have Troas, that, that second circle on the map up there in the corner, and then we have all the way to Philippi. So about 150-mile journey through the Aegean Sea, and some of the ships that they had were very, uh, nothing like we have today. Uh, but about a 150-mile journey, it took them two days to get from Troas all the way to Neapolis and eventually to Philippi. Now that was significant. That was significant timing. So uh, a lot of commentators believe that they had a strong headwind with them that was helping them sail because we learned later that on their return, it took them five days. The same journey going against the wind took them five days instead of taking two days. So 150 miles, and here we have the Apostle Paul and his small companies that crossed the Dardanelles. They moved from Asia into Europe from Neapolis, and the mission team would have walked uh, the famous Via Ignatia about 10 miles to Philippi, and it's a very important and prominent uh, road, and I'm not going to get into that uh, just for sake of time. But Philippi was about 10 miles inland from Neapolis. The way in which Luke describes the city for us is this. It was a very proud city a very prominent city, because look at the first couple of verses, and from thence to Philippi, in verse number uh, uh, 12, uh, is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, a colony of what? A colony of Rome, so basically, Rome had different colonies, different cities spread throughout the, their empire at the time, and basically, they were little Romes, wherever they were, So it's a very proud, very significant city that Paul and his team are going to. Now, as we look back across the intervening 20 centuries or so since Paul took this trip, we can see that it's an important event because because of that, the gospel has spread to where you and I are today in America and now even in Texas. And here we have in Luke chapter—or not Luke, but in Acts chapter 16, Luke's the writer— The gospel is reaching more and forward. Look at verse number 13. Now remember that typically when Paul went into a city, where would he start? If anybody remembers, where would Paul start within a city to preach and teach the gospel? Anybody remember? A synagogue. And the reason for that is because he himself, a Jew, trying to go and reach to the Jews, he is going into a synagogue, but this city did not have a synagogue. So then he had to get creative, so to speak, and go somewhere else. So verse number 13, and on the Sabbath, there was no city. We went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which uh, resorted thither. So basically there's no synagogue, but there is a ladies Bible study prayer meeting going on by the river. It's Riverside Church, or River City Church, or whatever you want to call it. They've got their own little Bible study by the river, and this is where Paul and his team go ahead and start their ministry. Now, I want you to understand this, because this is significant. And I love what Luke does here, not just in this verse, but in the rest of the verses. There's more than just three people that got saved in the church of Philippi. The church was more than three people. But he shows us three significant events and three specific groups of people that were saved. We have Lydia, who we'll talk about here in just a second. We have this slave girl, and then we have the jailer. Uh, Michael, do we have a chart? you have that chart still? Um, Hopefully you guys can see this. Go ahead and throw them all up there. So the first one, we have Lydia. Lydia is Asian. Now, this is important. She is not living in Asia at this time. I know you came for a history lesson today. But she is not living in Asia at this time. But where did Paul want to go? Anybody remember where Paul wanted to go? Asia, significant, very significant. So she had moved from Asia. Go back to the map quickly. So she had moved from Asia and really she was, go ahead and circle it here. It's Thyatira. Thyatira is one of those uh, seven churches, I believe in the revelation, but that's where she was from. She is from Asia. She has moved all the way up into Macedonia to Philippi. That's where she is living now. So again, maybe it's not significant to you, but it's significant to me. Paul wanted to go to Asia. God said, nope, I'm shutting that door. Goes to Philippi, and the very first person that got saved, where were they from? From Asia. I think that's cool. Maybe you don't, but I think it's cool. So go back to the chart if you would, Michael. So we have Lydia. Ethnically, she is Asian, okay? She is very wealthy. She is a God-fearing lady. Uh, She wasn't saved, but she wanted to learn more about God. That's why... Her and a group of women are by the riverside, not washing their clothes, but doing a prayer meeting and doing a Bible study. Uh, And this event happened, uh, it's a public exposition uh, where Paul is preaching and teaching. Uh, Next, which we'll get to here in a few minutes as well, the next convert is a slave girl that we hear about. Now, this slave girl is a native Greek. So already we're seeing ethnically that there are two different ethnicities going on here. We have an Asian that's going to be saved, and we have a native Greek that's going to be saved. Lydia, very wealthy, very prominent. The slave girl was not wealthy, was not prominent. Uh, she was very poor. She was tormented, tormented by evil spirits, or she had d- demonic uh, uh, entities within her. And there was a really dramatic exorcism that happened in her life. And then later on in the chapter, which we'll get to in a few minutes, is the jailer. The Philippian jailer. Now, this is significant because he is a Roman. He is a proud citizen of Rome. Blue collar type worker. So, again, we see three different types of individuals. Uh, He is very practical, very indifferent, and really, I guess you can label him this. He's probably very much of a skeptic because he's older, uh, he's set in his ways. And I'm not saying just because you're older, you get set in your ways, but that happens sometimes, right? You get very set in your ways when you get older, especially with the Romans. Uh, he had been, or he had served uh, within the Roman Empire for a long time, number of years. Uh, w- was was very well known, very prominent in his position, uh, very practical, very indifferent, very skeptical. But then we see a powerful miracle, and example in his life. So it's an amazing thing. This chart that shows us the three types of people that we see here: Lydia, a slave girl, a jailer, an Asian, a Greek, a Roman, wealthy, poor, blue collar. One that feared God, didn't trust, didn't have Jesus as her savior at the time, but knew about God. One that was tormented by evil spirits, had demonic entities within her, and then one that was basically just practical and indifferent. So here we have the three types of people that we're going to see. And the first one that we look at in verses 13 through 15, again, is Lydia. And if you're taking notes, it's this. Lydia is this. She is the spiritually interested Again, in most places, when Paul started, he would go into a synagogue, but there was no synagogue in this area. There wasn't a great group of Jewish believers in this area. So he went instead to the riverside because what happened in the law actually talked about that. If there was no uh, synagogue in that area, then the law provided that the Jewish people meet by by the local river and have a prayer meeting, have a basically a Bible study to study God's Word, to pray. And as they're praying, imagine this. They're probably praying for, for someone to come and show them, and all of a sudden, Paul walks up. Now, that's an awesome thing. That's happened to me on a, a couple of occasions where, and I think I've shared this before, one of the most prominent things in my life that ever happened with that, I was on visitation, I think it was bus visitation in college, uh, back at Crown. And we were knocking doors, and it was towards the end of the day when we were almost done trying to get you know more more kids to come on the bus route, and I was tired. I was ready to go home. I went to this apartment complex, and I really just, I didn't want to do it anymore, but we knocked on a door, and as we knocked on the door, uh, we were welcomed in. The family welcomed us in. We, We told them where we were from, and the amazing thing was this family, this lady I remember and her kids, she said, you know what? I was just praying that God would send me someone. I was just praying that God would send me someone to show me how to be saved. I'm like, Let me go find someone. Hang on. No, no. Hey, that's me. (laughs) I was blown away. Just probably a 19, 20 year old kid. I'm like, wow, God works like that. That's pretty awesome. I'm sure I stumbled over my words, but the awesome thing was that lady and her entire family got saved. She had been praying for God to send someone into her home to show her the way of truth, to show her salvation. It happened to be me and a friend of mine that were there. And that's what God does, and that's what God uses. And that's what I think about in this story as Lydia and others are down by the river praying. They're probably praying, God, please, we need someone. We we want someone to show us the way to help us understand what is right, what is truth. And they're meeting here, and they're praying in verse number 14, a certain woman named Lydia, very wealthy, she is a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God. She believed in God. She heard us. She she knew some things about God, but just because people worship God doesn't mean they're truly saved. She wasn't at this time. But her heart was open towards the Lord. She, she was attentive. She wanted to, to learn more. Her heart was open to the Lord, and, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul as Paul just went probably head first into what the gospel is and what Jesus did for them on the cross and paid for their sins. And it's not about the law. It's not about living to, uh, to uh, appeal to anyone and, and to, to live up to their standards. The law only condemns us. It doesn't save us. It doesn't redeem us. But there is one that redeems us and that's Jesus Christ. And as he's going through all of this, her heart is open and she gets saved. Her life is changed And then verse number 15, then she is baptized, baptized, or baptism follows salvation. She's baptized. And then what happens next is her household, you know, kind of reading between all this, what we see is that after she got saved and her life was changed, her family got saved too. And again, it reminds me of the the situation there in East Tennessee and in the, 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 kind of the, the ghetto part of Knoxville, but this family's life was changed. I, and I don't know what happened to them. I have no idea. But for, for Lydia, her life was changed. She was very wealthy. She was very prominent. She was baptized her entire household. Uh, she besought us, saying, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house. Now she opens her house to the missionary team, and I'm sure she had a very nice house of that day because she was very wealthy, had a lot of money. She was a business lady. And abide here, so stay with me. And she constrained us. And again, I I go back to what I talked about earlier. It's it's almost ironic, isn't it? That Paul wanted to go to Asia, and yet the first person that he reaches in Macedonia is an Asian person. Someone from the place in the region where he actually wanted to go. And her house, what we later learn, verse number 40, it actually became the gathering place for the entire church there at Philippi as, as the work started. And what we learn here is very, very many important lessons with Lydia, this spiritually interested person. You know, look, religion often approaches things through the lens of what do I have to do? We've talked about that. What do I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? Or what do I have to do to be saved? But the Bible and the gospel shows us not what we have to do, but what God has already done. And that's important. And I know you're like, well, Pastor, that's already, it's just review. I already know this. Well, it's still important to go over. Look, salvation cannot be achieved. She was wealthy. She had everything. But what this story is teaching us and what Luke is teaching us that it doesn't matter how much wealth you have, how much prominence you have, you still need Jesus. You still need Jesus in your life. And I think an application that we can ask ourselves is how can we reach the spiritually interested? Because there are people all over in our community that are spiritually interested. What I mean is they they know of God. They believe about God. They, they would like to hear more. So what do we do to reach those types of people? Well, first and foremost, you have to expose them to God's word. You have to continue to share God's word with them. Yeah, it's important to bring them into church, but I've talked about this before. It's, in, it's just as important because sometimes people are very scared and intimidated to come to church. It's just as important to even expose them yourself to God's word by, hey, you know what? I'm studying the Bible, why don't you study the Bible with me? I know it's a novel thought, but that's a great way to get spiritually interested people understanding what God's Word is. As God is teaching us, you know what we're doing? We're teaching someone else. Hey, why don't you study God's Word with me and we'll both learn together. And if you have questions, yes, you can ask someone that might know a little bit more. But there are people all over in our community that are interested in a deeper relationship with Jesus, but they don't know where to start, and they're not gonna come into a church because they're scared because they're afraid of what the church might think of them or do to them. So what we need to do is extend the invitation, whether to come to church or even an invitation to study God's word together, to study scriptures together. Look, listen, studying scriptures is more powerful than most of us realize. It really is. Studying scriptures is life-changing, truly. You know, we've all had those significant mom- moments, but if you really properly study scripture effectively, it will change your life like nothing ever has. That's something Amanda and I have talked about many times over, and in the past many years, she has gotten more, um, she's gotten deeper in her own study, in her own personal study. And what, one thing she has talked about is that the need for other people to know God's word, to know what they believe and why they believe it to not leave it up to to some guy or some girl to tell us everything. We need to know God's word for ourselves, right? And that's why it's very important to understand apologetics, understanding and defending our faith. Because there's a lot of people in our community and around the world that have other religious beliefs, and they know what they believe in, but the sad thing is a lot of Christians don't know what they believe in. But they know what they're going to fight for. I'm going to fight for a pew. I'm going to fight for a chair. I'm going to fight for a paint. I'm going to okay, that's foolish. Why don't you fight for what is right? The truth of the gospel. Why don't you study scriptures yourself to understand it? And that's what we learned from Lydia. She is spiritually interested. That's the thing that can transform you unlike anything else. We move on in our story. We see the second person, the slave girl. Verse number 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by sooth saying this spirit of divination is talking about demonic spirits within her and she was used to be a fortune teller so this slave girl shows us this this is the physically and spiritually captive and there are people like that again all over our community as well I'm not saying they're necessarily uh, have de- demons living inside them but everywhere we look there are people that are being held captive that are enslaved. Most importantly, they're enslaved to their sin, right? And this is what the slave girl teaches, that there are the physically enslaved or there are also the spiritually enslaved. Now, this phrase, this spirit of divination, it literally means, when you study it out even farther, the spirit of python, not necessarily the snake, but according to the mythology, the, the python or python guarded the temple of Apollo. Over the word, or over time, the word python came to mean a demon-possessed person through whom python or python spoke. So pythoness made clairvoyant predictions and uttered words in all sorts of strange voices. Because the locals considered such fortune sellers to be inspired by Apollo and the python, many sought them out to hear their predictions. There was a very large profit within these individuals, so some people tried to get individuals like that, and they made them their captives so that they can make a living and they can make a lot of money. Now, don't miss this important detail and feature about this girl. She was basically in double bondage. She was a slave and treated as a slave and abused also by a demonic spirit. And for days, let's continue on. And it came to pass, verse number 16 again, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain, much profit by soothsaying, by being a clairvoyant. The same followed Paul. Now just imagine that. Imagine if you're going trying to do a job and a demon-possessed person is following you around and talking. I mean, you, you wouldn't like it. But especially if you're trying to share the goodness of God with other people. Now here's the interesting part. So this, this slave girl, she's following Paul around, and she's crying out, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. <laughs> now, it's, it's, it's almost funny to me. Is what she's saying wrong? No, <laughs> it's not wrong at all. What she is saying is the truth. So this is going on. She is saying that, hey, these guys are of the most high God. They're showing you the way of salvation. (laughs) It's very interesting. And for days, she is following around Paul and following his team. And everywhere they go, she's there. And wherever he preaches, she's talking and shouting out to everyone in the village. And they know who she is and what she is. But then verse number 18, it really, I think it kind of shows us Paul's emotions. Because how many of this would Would this annoy anyone? I mean, it would flat out annoy me. I mean, some of the things that some people do in church just annoy me sometimes. But anyway, uh, this is annoying. And this she did many days, several days, whether it was two, five, a week, several days she does this. And then, look, Paul being grieved, and really, here's a better word Paul being annoyed. (laughs) Paul was annoyed. He's showing his, you know, his flesh. He's annoyed by this. He turned and said to the spirit, and, and maybe this was the fact that, okay, I am tired of what you're saying and what you're doing. So I'm just going to cast this demon out in the name of the Lord and be done with it. <laughs> so he's annoyed. He is grieved. He turns and said to the spirit, I command you. Now notice what he's doing. He's not commanding him in his name. He's commanding him in whose name? The name of Jesus. Because only the name of Jesus can set anyone free. Can make the captive not be a captive anymore. And can literally break chains as we'll even learn later. But he, he, he looks at her and I, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. You know, finally again, he, he could not take it anymore. In verse number 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains, the hope of their profit was gone. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace, into the rulers. So imagine that. Finally, this girl is free. And what we'll learn later is that she basically, she is redeemed. She gets saved. She is cleansed. She is purified. This demonic spirit is no longer oppressing her. It's, it's finally, she is free from that. And an important thing we learn is that the gospel liberates all people. Now, going back to Lydia, Lydia was enslaved as well, but a different kind of enslavement. She was enslaved to her business. Anybody know the type? I don't want to go off on that today, but there are people that are enslaved all over our world, that are enslaved to their business, that are enslaved to their family, that are enslaved to their job, they're enslaved to a hobby, they're enslaved to a lot of things. But the gospel liberates us it freezes. You saying, I don't have to work anymore. That's awesome. No, that's not what I'm saying. But sometimes we get so captive by what we're doing that we fail to do the most important thing that God wants us to do. And for Lydia, a wealthy individual, prominent, that's who she was. That's who her identity was. She was a seller of purple, a high standing community member. Lydia is a community member of high standing, but the slave girl, she was exploited. She was abused. Lydia, she's religious. She is moral. The slave girl, she is broken and tormented. Lydia comes to faith at a quiet Bible study. The slave girl is transformed through dramatic uh, exorcism. Lydia was presented with Jesus as the Messiah, while the slave girl was met as Jesus as the mighty deliverer. So how can we reach the captive today? Just like Paul. We have to get involved in their lives. We have to get involved in people's lives. We have to go where they are. And sometimes if people can't come to us, you know what we should do? We should go to them. Look, if Jesus can free a Pythoness, then he can break any addiction that you have. And that's what we have to understand. Some people are so enslaved by their addiction. It doesn't even have to be drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever. But there's a lot of addictions in the world. It might be, you know, um, extreme. You think about these these Olympians, and nothing against the Olympians, but there are some extreme sports out there. Some people might be, you know, the, the adrenaline rush. They're addicted to that. They're addicted to their job. They're addicted to, to gaming. They're addicted to a lot of things. But the gospel can free you from those things. It can liberate you. And if Jesus can free a person who is demon-possessed, don't you think he can break your addictions? Don't you think he can set you free from what is enslaving you and what is troubling you? It's a song we've sang many times in our church, Waymaker, right? Waymaker, miracle worker. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. But here's the truth. What we have to do is submit to the Waymaker to realize that he is the only one that can make a way for us. So two types of people we've seen. We've seen the spiritually interested, Lydia, how we can reach them. We see the, uh, the the physically, the spiritually captive. And again, there's so much more we could talk about with this. But then as we continue on, because there's a lot more to cover, and I, I, I got to get through this. We have a jailer. Look at verse number 19. Paul and Silas, they're drawn into the marketplace, the rulers. They brought them to the magistrates saying, these men... These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, were they troubling the city? No, they're actually trying to liberate the city, free the city. But they are saying this because all of a sudden they lost their income. We have no income. These men are troubling the city. They are troublemakers. They're teaching customs, which are not lawful for us, to receive neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. Threw them into prison after they were beaten, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who will meet. Verse 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them, which means threw them without any you know, regard at all. Threw them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, it's very important. Inner prisons were Usually the lowest part of the building, very disgusting. Uh, And I don't want to go into so deep matters, but there were all kinds of fecal matters there. Their feet were in stocks. You know, it's not like modern stocks that you see at like a colonial place where you put your head in there and take a picture. It's not like that. I mean, this was serious. So get that picture in our mind. These Roman stocks were were changed, suspended from the ceiling. They lay you down on your back and hook your ankles into the clamps and pull you upside down and then strike you on the bottom of your feet. Unbelievably painful. So this is what Paul and Silas are going through. And notice verse number 25. Now this is a message in and of itself, and I'm sure I'll preach it someday. But verse number 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas, what? Prayed and sang praises unto God. Just put yourself in that situation very quickly. I'm speaking honestly and truthfully. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I'm going through torture like that. If I can, you know what? I'm going to sing praises to God. I'm going to sing these songs and pass the Frisbee or high five Jesus. I, I, I don't know if I can do that. But Paul and Silas, that's what they're doing. They're praying to God, singing praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. Because I'm sure it wasn't like, Oh, God, we love, you, we love you. Some people like to do in worship. Uh, I worship you. Hope nobody hears me. I worship you. So other people hear them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Now, it was not uncommon that day to have earthquakes, but what was uncommon was what happened next. So that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were open. It kind of reminds me of what Peter and John when they were in prison. And everyone's bands were loosed. Again, here's the chain breaker, right? Jesus breaks the chains. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open. Now he knows something's going on because he was awakened from the, the shaking and the earthquake. Now he sees the doors open. He sees the chains are off the prisoners. Uh, this isn't good. And he's about to kill himself because he knows that if any of them escape, he's going to die. That that was Roman culture. If you lost a prisoner, then whatever they were in for, you were going to get. And most importantly, a lot of times, they would be killed themselves. So supposing they're all gone, he's about to draw a sword and kill himself. Because he, he's supposing the prisoners fled. Verse number 28, quickly. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, hey, we're still here. Don't harm yourself. Now that's important. Because... I dare say if this was me, I'd be running as fast as I can getting out of there. And I dare say many of you would have done the same thing. Like, I am getting out of this place, the doors are open, the chains are off, boom, I'm gone. (laughs) But Paul is still here, and he's like, hey, we're still here. Don't harm yourself. Don't kill yourself. It's all good. But the jailer was basically, I'd rather die than even face my family. Now, this was a total collapse of his identity. Paul cries out in verse 28, don't kill yourself, we're all here. Now, listen quickly, I'll I'll close up in just a minute, but maybe this is you today. Maybe your identity structure has collapsed to the point that you cannot see a way out. Everything you thought you were is now gone. It's been ripped away from you. You have nothing left to live for. Well, if that's you, then this message is for you. This message is for a teenager who might be struggling with depression, or an adult that is struggling with depression. And the the thing that I want to tell you is this, the same thing Paul told the jailer, do thyself no harm. Because there is someone that wants to save you, that wants to redeem you, that wants to help you. You see, we think that the the answer is is to medicate ourselves, and I'm not against those things to an extent, but we think that's the answer. Or or for some people, I'm just going to kill myself and end it all, and it's going to be better. No, that's not the answer. But Jesus is the answer. And that's what we're learning here with Paul and with Silas. Hey, jailer, don't harm yourself. We are here. Now, look at verse number 29. He calls for a light. He needs some kind of light. He calls for a light and he sprang in. And he came in trembling. He's shaking. I'm sure he's shaking because, are they going to jump me? What's going on? And he falls down on his knees before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out. And he said, we'll wrap up here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, it's a very important question, but listen to me. This is also a very performance-based question. Stay with me. Because you think about our culture today. Our culture around us in our world They're looking for ways to save themselves. Are they not? Yes, they are. They're looking for anything and everything to save themselves. Maybe it's having more money, having more toys, having a better job. They're looking for ways to save themselves. They're looking at any kind of, every kind of religion. So it's a very performance-based question. It's what our world is seeking. What must I do or what do I need to do? What do I have to do? What must I do in order to save myself? Now, this question, listen, cuts deep in the heart of mankind today. This is where people are all over creation. What must I do to be saved? Some try through accomplishments. Some try through success or money or friends or job or status or power. Some try to create a new identity, but you cannot create an identity that will ever save yourself. Everything you create, you will eventually lose. Beauty, go ahead and try to create more beauty. Eventually, you're going to lose it. Nothing wrong with education, but eventually you're probably going to lose your mind. Go ahead and try to create and and get all the money you can get, but eventually that money's going to be gone. You're going to pay it to the hospital or pay it to the nursing home or or whatever. It's going to be gone. Whatever you try to to gain, eventually it's going to be gone. Health. Eventually your health is going to fail you. It is. So I'm not saying you shouldn't be the healthiest person and just eat junk food like me all the time, but... (laughs) All of those things that we are trying to pursue and push, eventually you're going to lose it. So listen, listen. What must I do to be saved? But notice, Paul doesn't tell him to do anything himself. Listen. There's a lot of things that Paul doesn't say. You know what he does say? He doesn't say, all right, in order for you to be saved, here's the list. Here's the list of things that you must do in order to achieve salvation. Because no one can achieve it. We can only receive it, as we have said many times. So Paul's not saying, here's the list of things that you have to do. Here are the traditions that you have to follow. You know what Paul says? Verse number 31. He doesn't say do anything. He says believe on someone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what's going to happen? Thou shalt be saved. Look, that's it, church. And I'm not saying you might be here and you're struggling with salvation, but this is where we have to get the culture to understand. There's nothing they can do to save themselves. There is nothing the jailer could do to save himself. He wanted to kill himself. Paul says, don't kill yourself. I got an answer for you. This girl that was enslaved with the demonic spirit, she couldn't save herself. But Paul, he couldn't do it. He did it in the power of Jesus. And Jesus saved her. Lydia, she is searching. She couldn't save herself, but Jesus could. You see, three types of people, three different, uniquely different people. Look, trusting, (laughs) trusting or believing in something is different than believing on something. Let me me quickly explain, and we'll be done. Paul says again, verse number 31, it's not necessarily believe it, it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, Let's choose this bench for illustration. So I could say that, you know what? I believe that this bench will hold me. I believe in this bench. But if I don't get on the bench, has anything changed? No. I believe that this bench has the power to hold me, but then I still do nothing. Did anything change? No. But you know what? I'm going to not just believe in its power. I'm going to believe on its power and get on it. And, oh, wow, it actually did hold me. It's probably going to break. But you see, there's a difference here, right? There's a difference between believing in versus believing on. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. It's not believing in yourself. Believing in in a list of moral statutes and commands. No, believe on Jesus and what's going to happen. You will be saved. And you know what? He was saved. Because he realized that my life is over. They're going to kill me. These prisoners are going to escape. Don't do yourself any harm. And, and we'll, we'll look at that later. Maybe why is to Paul did this. But don't do thyself harm. Paul could have escaped. I probably would have escaped. But Paul realized he had a greater purpose there. That God wanted him in, wanted him in that prison. He wanted him to be able to talk to that jailer. And the jailer was instrumental within the community. His household got saved. Isn't it an awesome thing when households get saved? When people you know get saved? Well, it starts with one, and it leads to others. It started with Lydia, and it led to others. And I'm sure the slave girl, it led to others as well. So the point of all of this, and there's so much more we can go, the, the fact that all of these three individuals had identity structures in their life. Wealthy, poor, middle class. Prominent, uh, known for what they were or what they could do and how they can bring profit to people. Also known for their abilities. The jailer, and uh, very hard and very skeptical in a lot of areas of his life, grew up in a, in a traditional-based identity. But he realized that, you know what? There's something different about Paul and Silas because I'm sure the jailer was there helping, if not the one that was beating Paul and Silas. And he knew of anyone that, it, probably if he was in their shoes, he'd have been gone too. But they're not. They're here. Do thyself no harm. What, what do I have to do? Well, there's nothing you can do. All you have to do is receive it. Receive what Jesus has already offered you. And I guess as we close it today, it, it's this. If you're not saved, first and foremost, there's nothing you can do to achieve salvation because it's already been done for you. All you must do is receive it. But for the Christian today, the, the truth is this. We're going to meet spiritually interested people in our communities. We're going to meet people that are enslaved, maybe physically or spiritually. We're, we're going to meet people that are skeptics. And we'll try to talk maybe a little bit more about this in EQ. We're going to meet the skeptics. So what do we have to do? Point them to Jesus. That, that, that's the simple thing. Point them to the only one that can change their lives. Three types of people. And what I learned, I guess the overarching theme of what I learned from this passage is that this, yet again, the gospel isn't just for a type. The gospel is for all. The gospel transcends any culture, any community, any addiction. And not only can it can, can it transcend, can it go through, but it can transform. It can change you into who you think Thought you were versus who you are now.